This episode is brought to you by Griefline, Australia's national not-for-profit service that offers free non-crisis support to anyone experiencing grief or facing any type of loss. As well as their national helpline, Griefline has loads of incredible free support services, support forums, grief education and resources, and even corporate and volunteer training programs and workshops. If you are struggling and need extra support or want to know how to support someone who is coping with loss, visit griefline.org.au. Just a heads up, today's conversation discusses suicide, which some listeners may find triggering. listening to Good Morning, the podcast talking all things grief with honesty and humour. Welcome back to the Good Morning podcast. We are your hosts, Sal and Im, and we are back with our much requested guest interview that we are so excited to share with you all. But before we get into today's conversation, Sal, mate, tell me, how are you going? I am doing better than the last time we spoke, I think. I'll be really honest. I've been really anxious and griefy as fuck, and I've had to really work through it. Um, but I'm feeling, I am feeling better now. I'm feeling, I'm feeling in a better place. I'm proud of you. If I haven't told you that recently, thanks, just mate. Want to let you know. Thanks. I appreciate you. How are you doing? Um, I'm okay. Feeling a bit tired today. Um, oh, I've got to tell you about my grief dream. Oh, yes. Yes. Is this after our last episode with Lisa Shulman when she was like, keep a journal and like... Yes, I haven't written it down. I need to fucking (laughs) practice what we peach. Peach. (laughs) No, I definitely need to write this down, actually. Okay, so last night I had a dream about my mum. It was so realistic, like so, so realistic. It was like out out the front of the cinemas. I was sitting out the front of the cinemas and two of her really close friends came into the cinema And I was talking to them and then I looked down the road and another one of her friends with their daughter walked into a shop. And I just remember feeling that feeling of like, oh, like I can never walk into a shop with my mom again. And it was just like, I just, you know, what I would give to just walk down the fucking street with my mom or walk into a shop or go to a cafe or just those little things. And then my phone rang and it was my mom and I was talking to her on the other side she was dead and I knew she was dead she knew she was dead but we're having a conversation about how she's still here and it was like so weird she's like I've like I just saw your friend um Megan go into the cinema and so and so down the road and she's like oh I always loved Megan so much like she was talking to me oh it's just so weird and I was like I wish you that you were here like I just wish that you were physically here I find this so hard I don't want to just talk to you over the phone and she's like I know him but I'm always here you know that like you know I wish I was physically there too and we were literally having a conversation about her being dead and me not being able to see her but it was kind of like that that like what we spoke about with Laura Lynn Jackson like they'll come through to dreams and it was so realistic yeah I didn't mean fucking cry again. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like some sort of sense of comfort? Obviously it's upsetting and it triggers all these emotions, but do you feel like... Yeah, I feel a sense of comfort. And I also feel that like the just how much you miss them. Like it's so deep. Mm. It runs so deep. It does. It's been years and it's still deep. 
it's a head fuck isn't it when you wake up from those dreams because you're like it feels so real it's kind of a nice feeling but then also like a really surreal feeling Mm. yeah anyway so I'm all right like aside from that really interesting visitation dream that I had last night but um throw you as well like I remember when I've had those dreams I feel like it does knock you off kilter a bit because they are so intense and it brings up a lot so make sure you take care of yourself today especially thank you but you know we could keep going on as always but I really want us to talk about today's guest Samuel Johnson we are beyond excited to share this conversation with you guys Sam is a Logie a gold Logie award-winning actor and all of you Aussie listeners you're probably already familiar with him because he's been in across his career he's been in so many iconic Aussie TV shows like Home and Away, Blue Healers, Rush, and um, one of my mum's favourites, which we talk about, The Secret Life of Us, which kind of catapulted his career. Um, so, yeah, it's just such a great chat, isn't it, Sal? Oh, one of my faves, I reckon. But these days, Sam's actually known for his work in his charity, which is absolutely incredible. And you guys may be familiar with it. It's called Love Your Sister, which he set up with his sister, Connie, to help vanquish cancer by raising funds for medical research. And... I'm not going to lie. We got to chat with Sam about some pretty deep stuff, didn't we, Im? And he was super, super vulnerable and brutally honest with us. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. And he shared his own experience with a recent near-death experience, actually, which we, I don't think he's talked about much in public before. It was quite recent. And as well as, you know, we talk about the drive behind why he set up Love Your Sister when Connie was facing the end of her life. And we talk about supporting someone through cancer. And he shares a really important piece of advice that I think we could all do with hearing. Definitely. And we also talk about sibling loss and sibling dynamics. And he's pretty honest about their relationship, not always being all roses, which I think is actually quite refreshing to hear. Yeah, I did that. I did find that quite interesting, actually, because nobody we kind of like glorify people that have died as well. So I really appreciated his honesty there. And for any listeners who are coping with suicide loss, Sam shares a really, really interesting perspective that I personally have found really helpful to hear. Um, He's very passionate about the topic and honest about how he coped, which I really appreciated. So yeah, if anyone here is grieving the loss of someone to suicide, keep listening because it's towards the end where he shares this piece of advice. And just all in all, he's a very inspiring guy and was just a super interesting guest to have on, wasn't he? And we hope you guys find this conversation as deep and as enlightening as we did. Enjoy. We are so stoked that we get this opportunity to chat with you. Um, Yeah, really appreciate your time. It's a good thing you do. I'm glad to be a part of it. Firstly, um, you are like such a familiar household face growing up like it was our family tradition to watch Secret Life of Us together and you were my mum's favourite character so she would be really excited that I get to chat with you. (laughs) Yeah yeah like you're not my demo at all your mum is my demo. Yeah but I used to watch it with her it was a thing we used to do like when I was I think I would have been like 14 or 15 years old. You look Um, like you would have been about two. No, thank you. I'll take that. But no, I was about 15, I'd say. <laughs> well, we, <laughs> You're my favourite person. Without without, without that, um, it's hard to imagine that I, I'd have anything. Um, like, mm. my, like my charity, I can, I can definitely, I, I would still do the thing, but 
that show really kind of it broke me through and it gave me an extra extra zero when it comes to my fundraising. So pretty grateful for it. Amazing. I used to work at Southern Star Entertainment as well. So small world, but such a great show. And yeah, we're so stoked to talk to you. Not every day we get to talk to a unicyclist Logie winning breast cancer advocate, do we, Sal? We don't. <laughs> no, we've got a lot we want to ask you. But first of all, like, how are you doing, Sam? Because I know it was just over a year ago that you had like your own brush with death, didn't you? Yeah, I had a near death kind of experience, 14 months. And uh, actually, I've just passed 15 months, 15 months uh, yesterday. Wow. Uh, 15 months ago, I was a pedestrian and there was a car and and the car came came off best for sure. Um, and I woke up in hospital. And I, ha- I had no idea that I'd been in an accident because I was going through something that they, that they call PTA. Um, so it's post-traumatic amnesia. So, mm-hmm. so there's an 11-day period of acute PTA that I'll never get back. We won't get pissed in like 20 years and I'll remember it. Like it never got banked. Um, so I woke up about 12 days late, like, I woke up earlier, but I woke up, I came out of PTA about 12 days later and um, everything was kind of, um, kind of bizarre. The nurses say what happens in PTA stays in PTA. Um, and, <laughs> tell us, um, tell us what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me tell you, um, th- all the lights are dimmed in the PTA ward because you're very sensitive to light, music, sound, everything. Um, your mobile phones are constantly um, taken off you because it's very common that you call the police because you think you've been kidnapped and you want to be rescued. Um, I couldn't see the clock at the end of my bed, so I got my sister to smuggle me in uh, a watch and everything was exaggerated. When I checked the time, it'd be like... When I did deodorant, it'd be like, oh, my God, that's deodorant under my heart. Oh, wow. Um, so everything was big and magnified, but you also lose your brain. I thought I was in a mental home. Um, I didn't realise I was in a hospital. And then I thought I was in a donut factory and everybody was a donut here and they're trying to turn me into a donut. I was very upset about it. Um, <laughs> now, now that... The MRI machine, as you know, is circular, right? Um, yeah. It's quite common, the nurses say, for a guy to, or a girl to think that, that they're being turned into a donut. It's not even unique. Um, like, so so the MRI machine said limited limited study due to patient aggression. I had a, I had a, a deep Russian accent, it's English, but with a Russian yeah. accent uh, for a day and a half. For two and a half days, I was a I was a Japanese girl, aged eleven, and and probably the the weirdest thing that happened in there is that I was convinced that there was a neck thief. Now I should have reprinted, I should have defined it differently, a neck brace thief, but I called this person the neck thief. Now I was in hospital. A lot of us had neck braces on. Anyone who'd kind of who'd had a head or a neck injury, which was me included, had a neck brace on, and and. And all of our neck braces were disappearing and it had to be the neck thief. And I couldn't believe, oh my God. Couldn't believe that we're in a, a publicly funded hospital. <laughs> our, taxes, our taxes get spent on this stuff. This place is full of doctors and nurses that are trying to make us better. And, and we've got this 
dastardly neck thief just running through the place, just taking neck braces left, right and centre. I was outraged. The audacity. <laughs> one, night, one, night, one night, I, I and because I'm in bed and I can't move, I can't even walk yet, um, one night I decided to give chase to the neck thief. And I got up out of my bed, which I couldn't do, and quickly collapsed onto the floor and was found by the nurses who had to come in once an hour to check that I was still alive. I was found crying on the floor about this neck thief and the neck brace that I had on, that, that I no longer had on, was found only a metre away from me. And, and much to my upset, I was devoted. They all thought I was the neck thief. I, I mean, I feel terrible for laughing because this is fucking traumatising. You should laugh. But it's, it's, like, hilarious. It's the fact that you're here funny. today to tell the story, I'm really grateful for, and you're, you're obviously in a good place now, but far out. What a story. I was the neck thief. Um, but like, <laughs> was I was you all along. the guy that had taken the neck brace <laughs> off. But, I, like, to say that I'm super grateful to, to be here is an understatement. It's been... Um, for, it's been 15 months since that accident and I stopped seeing um, my doctor about that accident uh, last week. Last week I had my uh, last appointment. So even though I've still got exercises and my vestibular system, which controls my balance, is still a bit wobbly, I'm basically back to normal. I can drive, I can, I've returned to work, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, God, what a journey. And the irony that you're about to release a guidebook called like oh. My Life and Other Catastrophes and then you get hit by a car. Like, I couldn't believe you just that. Can't, yeah, you right. just can't write it, can you? Yeah, I know. And like, as we're talking, Sam, you're actually back on tour, which must feel really good. Like, whereabouts are you at the moment? What's going on? I've gone all around, really. I've done a bit of New South, a bit of Vic. Um, I've got only one other stretch to go. Um, and that's been really, really good. I love what I do, but I love it even more now. Um, but because of the injury, we've got a very different schedule now. So I used mm. to do this next level of community engagement strategy. You know, I used to go to towns. I used to do schools. I used to do MPs. I used to do businesses. I used to do pop-ups, fundraisers, all the media, everything. It was like, there was like 25 things a week uh, for 10 years. Um, and that's how I did stuff. But because of the injury, um, I can, I've no longer got the tank to do that kind of stuff. And I'm getting older. Um, but um, basically, I go to a town now. I have a show during the week and I have a family fun day during the weekend. Now, the shows have commonly sold out. Not all of them, but most of them. And the family fun days have commonly had four thousand people attending them wow. so um to say it's gone off is is an understatement because we're hoping we were hoping that if we do a show maybe maybe you know maybe 100 or 200 people will come and we were hoping that if we did a family fun day maybe a thousand people would come and it's just blown like all of the results have blown through the roof so it's it's been it's been good to get back to work it's incredible. And Sam, for anyone listening who isn't familiar with your incredible charity, Love Your Sister, can you just tell us about your sister, Connie, your mission, and also whose mad idea it was for you to <laughs> unicycle for a year as well? Yeah, totally. Um, Love Your Sister is an organisation that loves families and hates cancer. 
Um, we proudly pass on 100% of what we receive to research only. Other charities will mention 100% of profits or 100% of proceeds. And if you read their annual reports, you'll see that they commonly net 30 million and spend 15 or 20 on themselves. Um, we're not that. Um, 100% of what we receive gets spent on research only, no skimming, no admin, no bullshit. And because of our collective giving power, we're able to negotiate uh, with the agencies themselves to get a full full research. Um, they, they promise to spend on research in writing, promise to spend on research only, I get full reporting and the right to audit at the end. So basically we're, we're one of many cancer charities. We're called Love Your Sister, um, but we treat... Uh, medical research more seriously than anyone else. It started with my sister, which is why we're called Love Your Sister. She had a tumour in her leg when she was 11, then a cancer in her womb when she was 22, and then terminal breast cancer when she was 33. Mm -hmm. And she issued me an insane dying wish, which you can't really say no to because she's really crook and she wants you to do it. Um, I was reluctant to say the least. She she told me to get on a unicycle and ride around the whole country and remind the country to be breast aware. So I did that and that was our start 10 years ago. Since then, we've raised over $15 million for cancer research and we deliberately don't do the same thing twice because many charities, they find a winner, they stick to it and then they die. Um, so um, we try to come up with new stuff all the time to maintain our relevance. Could you imagine Love Your Sister turning into what it is today, like back then when, you know, Connie and your mission was to raise a million dollars for cancer research and here you are at $15 million? No, I thought we were done. Um, I mean, I was very proud of the fact that um, no one had died on the road because I was right next to trucks for a year. Um, and I was very, very, very proud of Connie for still being alive. Everyone was alive. I was very grateful. We raised 1.4 million in that first year. I was mm. super happy with that because we wanted to raise a million. I was very, very happy and I was going to get on with my life and I was enjoying my first beer. And my sister said, what next? <laughs> and, and I said, what do you mean? what next i've just had a very tough year you hug me you tell me you love me you tell me you're proud of me i finish my beer and i get on with my life that's what's next <laughs> and she said no this is over when we stop losing our families to like to cancer mm. and i was like right yeah you can't argue with that so so i said 10 million it is then and so from the moment i'd gotten off the unicycle like there was like two minutes where i wasn't going to continue and then my sister just dropped that perler and um and kept me on that train she sounds like such an incredible woman can you just tell us a little bit about what kind of person connie was she was very stubborn <laughs> um she was quite adversarial um we we didn't get along very well um we both preferred our other sister she was our favourite um, and um, she had the power with us growing up. Um, she was a strong personality. Um, we decided when she got sick with her third cancer to just put our past behind us and just to rebuild from there. I'm really glad that we did. Um, but um, she, she was obsessive about raising her kids well because my mum, our mum had committed suicide when she was two and I, when she was three and I was two. Um, so she really wanted to see those kids through. So she was a really good mum mm -hmm. and uh, her kids were bilingual by like six. Um, you know, um, she, she was really good at mumming 
really good at mumming. In fact, that's what she wanted to do from a very young age, but maybe because of what had happened with our mum. But she wasn't, mm -hmm. she didn't just dream of one day being a mum. She was obsessed with becoming a mum. That was her, her, major, her major thing. And so later in life, we managed to get along quite well and to laugh lots. But, um, but I suppose like, like any sibling growing up, it was adversarial at times. I'm not, mm -hmm. I try not to idealise, I try not to idealise uh, Connie um, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, she was a great person and she, she dropped these pearlers that got me on the right track. And let's not forget, she set up Love Your Sister to save her brother as well. I was not doing well at that time. I had had 15, 20 years of absolute disaster. I was an absolute clusterfuck. So my sister, my sister set up Love Your Sister not just to help remind every young mum in the land to be breast aware and to raise apes for cancer research, but to make sure that I was on the straight and narrow before she left. Mm -hmm. um, so, so she was a strong, smart um, uh, person who was a really great parent. Um, and um, and we went toe to toe for many years. Mm. And and just back to what you were saying earlier about her her wanting to to be a mum, it was quite a miracle, really, wasn't it? Because of all the cancer treatments that she'd had over the years, to then exactly, have exactly. Um, she she was told she wouldn't have kids again. Mm. Then she fell pregnant with her first, and that went quite successfully. Um, and because she'd had cancer in her womb as well. So there was really, really, really low hopes for that. On her second, her second child only just made it. She spent, spent seven, seven and a half months prone. She was in bed for, for months and months. It wasn't like she, a normal pregnancy. That child was born prematurely and uh, luckily safely. And mm -hmm. both, both children are 15 or 16 now, but, she, but, um, you, you know, like I don't like the word miracle, but I understand why it's used. Um, mm. I, I'm just going to say that she was an unlikely mother, an unlikely mother indeed. Um, clearly, if 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 she couldn't have had kids, she wouldn't have had. Um, but but she was certainly told a lot growing up that that wasn't part of her future. That would have been excruciating to have to leave your kids behind as well. So it's sort of tied into. Connie's legacy. Can you tell us what her response was when you asked her what you wanted Connie's what you wanted her legacy to be? I'm in charge of it. I know exactly <laughs> what I want it to be. I mean, uh, look, she's got a personal legacy. She wants she wants me to talk to the kids about her all the time, so the kids don't forget about her. Yeah. Uh, she wants me to be available to them for any questions that they may have. Um, but in terms of her legacy, um, she wanted to make sure that cancer patients get precision medicine. Mm -hmm. Precision medicine or personalised medicine should have been offered to my sister and wasn't. If you get cancer today, you're still not going. It's still not going to be made available to you. Um, so we've been on this precision medicine or personalised medicine train for a long time because because it could have put her on the right drug first time. Otherwise, it takes month, three months to um, to tell whether that medicine is having any demonstrable effect on the tumour. Um, if it's not, we call it a false line of treatment and we move on. On her first line of treatment, it was a false line. Her second, a false line. Her third, a false line. On her fourth line of treatment, we found the right drug, but we found it too late. By then, the, the cancer was in her liver, lung, spine, pelvis, knee. Mm. 
if she had have had precision medicine and the proof of concept is closed, the whole world's moving towards it, not just for cancer, but for every disease, mm-hmm. then, then, then maybe, maybe her outcome would have been different. And I'm sick of waiting for precision medicine to arrive. Um, it's been 10 years now and it's still not coming. So I'm rolling it out. Um, you know, I mean, obviously I don't have enough money to do that. So I'm teaming up with people that have much, that are much smarter and have bigger brains than I do and uh, have bigger pockets as well, because at the end of the day, we need to offer this not just to rich people in Sydney, but to um, poor people in Catherine. You know, this this if you fall under the three R's, the regional, rural, or remote um, category, your outcomes are going to be a lot worse. Um, so um, she wanted love. Connie, my sister Connie wanted Lovey's sister to be strong to do that. Mm-hmm. I went and spoke to all the scientists and the researchers. They all said the same thing. Can you tell the whole country about that? And so that's what I'm doing. Um, so, but but what I'm doing now is no different to what we wanted to do when she was alive. But I mean, in, I mean, in our wildest dreams, we'd be a bit closer than we are now. But um, but that's okay. We're heading in the right direction. You're doing an incredible job in spreading that message. And I just want to talk about like Connie's death for a moment because to announce that you're dying so publicly is absolutely bloody massive. It's a huge thing to do. And like, how did you feel? when she told you that's what she wanted to do? I was really averse to it. I thought we should fight this privately. I didn't want to go public with it. And I didn't want to be away on some unicycle playing the hero while my sister was at home and possibly dying. The worst nightmare, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, she dies, I can't get to her in time. Yeah. You know, there were, there were a whole bunch of reasons that I didn't want. I'd also had some experience of the public eye. So I, I wasn't sure that my sister was ready for that. And I was also convinced that you've got to go the whole way if you're going to go there. Is she willing to do a topless photo after a double mastectomy for the cause? You know, like, uh, because she'll be asked, get your top off, show us your scars. Like, it's, it's really brutal stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. and by the way, you're going to drag the whole family through this. Oh, and by the way, when you die, you're not going to be able to do it privately. Mm. So we fought for many months about, about Love Your Sister because um, Love Your Sister was definitely not what I wanted to do, but you don't say no to a dying wish, and if that's what she really wants, then that's what I'm going to do. She was right, of course. I'm very glad that she did it. When I was mm-hmm. unicycling over in Perth, Carrie Bickmore flew over and said, do I go public about this cancer thing? She had been through a major thing with her partner with, with brain cancer and, and she had kept mum about it for years. And, and I ended up saying, you've got to do it. There, there's going to be no downside to it. And, and Carrie's beanies for brain cancer started. And so I blame Carrie because she helped Love Your Sister survive in its early years. And Carrie blames me because I started the, the whole beanies thing with her. But really it was Connie originally who, who, um, who I think had the ignorance uh, to say, do this. And I was like, no, 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 I don't think you want to do that. And of course, by the end, I was like, I'm so glad you did this. Mm. So glad. I was so wrong. I was so and, wrong. And what's Love Your Sister done personally for you, Sam? Like you mentioned you were going through a really tough time and Connie wanted to set it up for you as well. Like what, how has it changed your life? Uh, in every way imaginable. Mm. Um, I compare, if I compare myself now to myself in the middle of showbiz in the middle of my 20s, I know, I know which person I'd rather be. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, it, 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 
where I'm at now is just so better than where I was heading. And um, so when I was in showbiz, it wasn't common for people go, for people to yell out at you and be quite derisory. Um, and it wasn't common for people to mock you. It's the tall poppy thing. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't common. It wasn't uncommon to be very careful. Late at night, you had to be very careful. At parties, you had to be very careful because you were commonly targeted. Um, now, now when I go out, I go to pay for my fuel and, and, and they say, sorry, it's already been paid for. And I'm running oh. out of I'm running out of the fuel station trying to catch the the really nice lady that just paid for my fuel. That's not uncommon. That's happened like 20 times. Like it's not, it's not like I'm just talking about it happening once. Like everywhere I go, I get hugged. People cry, you know, like I've got this position in society now where if I turn up, people are really grateful to see me because of what I do. And, um, and so if I compare um, like, like it's not about people buying the fuel. I'm trying to. I'm. I'm. I'm tr I never thought. Oh wow! I could get to the point where people buy me fuel. Like it's you know, like it's the, like the you know, goal. Like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to explain that. Like I love your sister is eighty six percent women and mums. So mm -hmm. there's an eighty six percent chance that it's going to be a female out there that helps me out. I get treated really well now and I reckon one in 20 times they might mention the showbiz, one in 40 times they might mention the showbiz. I think out there I'm more known as a brother now. So it's mm -hmm. changed my life completely uh, because I've now got something to live for. I, you, you know, if I lose concentration, then, you know, we've got eight staff, you know, like, you know, um, like I'm very, and I, I want personalized medicine yesterday, not today. And, 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 so I live a, um, a very healthy, uh, productive, kind of up early, down early mm -hmm. kind of life because I'm 45 and I've got no kids. So I can kind mm -hmm. of, um, uh, I can be less exhausted and more strategic. Uh, about Definitely. <laughs> and I love the title that you've given yourself, Head of Cancer Vanquishment in Australia. That is absolutely brilliant. What a title. Yes. Yeah, and your, bu like, your villagers as well. I love seeing that they're so freaking supportive. Like their messages pouring. Like I saw a video the other day where you had a swollen face. I was like, oh no, don't cancel on this interview. But just the outpour of support you have from your villagers is so heartwarming to, to witness. Yeah, you know, I'm over-supported and treated so well, and that's partly why I do what I do, because yeah. to be honest, cancer, whatever, you know, we get it, and we get really crook, and some of us die. Like, I'm not, mm. it doesn't, I'm not sure my mission is to try and make sure we treat cancer better, but that's mm. not the reason why I do what I do. The reason why I do what I do is that I've had, I reckon I've had over 100,000 cancer stories face-to-face. -face. I've done over 1,000 towns. Um, it's, I do about a hundred face to faces in that town. So I reckon I've had over a hundred thousand cancer stories. Now that's bonded me with the entire nation. Mm -hmm. And what I've, what I've learned is that every family is just like mine and we're all doing what we can. And as my sister used to say, Sam, it's not your money. I didn't raise $15 million. Like I meet people all the time that helped us raise $15 million. I'm inspired by them. Yeah. You know, other way around. I mean, I can't believe that some people they got together and they raised eight thousand dollars. I know how hard it is to raise a thousand dollars. Like it's really, really hard. And some people raise eight. And then Moira Lai, she had five kids in Canberra, 
And uh, one of them was uh, had Down syndrome, so um, he, there was a different kind of maintenance required for him. He, her husband was working. She had cancer. She was very busy. She raised $20 million in the 12 months before she died with no profile. I've been going wow. for 10 years. I've got, 10, I've got $15 million. Like, I, like, there's Jeff Coombs, who runs Tour de Cure, um, he's just uh, he's still on the board and stuff, but he's he's just gotten out of the game in terms of taking a step back. Hundred million dollars. No one's heard of Jeff Coombs mm-hmm. unless they've been involved with Tour de Cure. You know, like it's it's like my my point is that I'm a minnow among giants. You know, and 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 I get a lot of the credit because I think of my showbiz past or something like that. But there's there's people out there that have done a lot more than me with a lot less than me. So that's very humbling. You've got an incredible community, and I think every every little bit helps, doesn't it? It's 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 all part of the it's all part of the collective. And Sam, I just wanted to um, talk about cancer because Uh I've heard you say something and I think it's a really important and interesting perspective I think when we're going through really difficult times you know we're going through you know a terminal illness or we lose someone we love we can feel like people drop away and I've heard you talk about that you found it really hard to visit Connie in hospital and you're just not good at that kind of thing right and some people just aren't and I thought that was really interesting because I think sometimes we can be you know, like people don't care, they're not visiting me or they're not, you know, rallying round. And I think actually you offer an interesting perspective that sometimes I, it's not that they don't care. I I think, Sal, that you've raised a really good point. Um, people who are, who are sick with something, they commonly say things like, oh, you find out who your friends are. Hmm. The people who aren't there do care. They are still your friends. Like, I get that there is a drop-off when you get sick because there's a certain amount of people that'll just leave you to be sick because that's what you've got to do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and But there's a percentage of people like me uh, who care deeply for that person but don't play a natural carer role. Yeah. Um, so I didn't speak at my sister's funeral. She didn't want me to speak at her funeral. Um, my, I have a half-brother, David. She wanted him to speak, and that was fine. Um, I, I feel like if I had visited her more in hospital or been more of a carer, maybe I would have got that honour. I couldn't go to hospitals because I hated hospitals because of when she had cancer when she was a kid. When she had cancer when she was a kid, I went twice and never went back. So my dad used to say, do you want to come to hospital? And I'd say, no, I've got heaps of homework to do. He stopped asking after a while. I didn't want to go there. On her second cancer, I didn't go at all. Um, she was interstate. That helped. Uh, on her third cancer, I was like, right, get over this hospital thing. And I started to visit her more and more. Um, I still don't like hospitals um, for a number of reasons. But this a number of reasons why people can't visit. There's a number of reasons why people can't get flowers and a get well soon card and make the right sounds. Please, if you're sick, understand that everybody that you love reacts differently to this. And and if people drop off, it's not necessarily because they don't want to be a friend anymore. Mm. 
it's really like not everyone's going to be the person who cooks a lasagna and drops it off at your doorstep every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Not everyone's going to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm glad with my role as a unicyclist because in a way, the further away from, from Connie's, I didn't want to be away if she got really sick, but I was quite happy to be away during treatment. Um, so I've got, I've got this kind of arm's length approach to it because it frightens me so much. And I don't like the smell of hospitals and, and like, I've like it's, um, but I love my sister. So this, 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 I, I want patients out there not to be so judgy about people who don't visit them. Mm. And I want patients not to expect that they're going to receive the calls now. Mm-hmm. I want patients to actually stay on the phone to people who have dropped off and say, oh, hey, I haven't seen you. What's the go? Is, is this whole thing too much for you? And they mm-hmm. might go, yeah, it's too much. I want to speak to you when you're better. And they're allowed to. But, but don't, don't let it be because you isolate yourself expecting p- people to come to you because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, your responsibility, whether you're sick or not, is to feed the friendships and the loves that you have beside you. This is a really important topic. And I think just hearing you talk about it, it carries over to grief as well, because we're obviously a grief podcast. 100% of our audience are grieving someone they love and people drop away. And it's such a common thing that we hear. And I feel like it can, we should have the same attitude towards, you know, people who are grieving and the friends drop away and people, people just don't know how to fucking handle things sometimes. Like you mentioned, like it's either too confronting or it triggers things from their past or yeah, whatever the reason, Mm. like, I think it is so important to show a bit of grace and, and like you said, reach out. Hey, Em, I'm not supporting the people that do drop off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's okay to be completely absent. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not supporting the people that do just disappear. And I do understand that there's varying degrees of this thing. So mm. I'm not saying it's okay to drop off. I'm yeah. just saying that that I struggle and yeah. and that it's important for the patient to realise that um, um, that they may have as many problems coming into that world as the patient does. Mm. And, 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 and I'm not trying to put responsibility onto the patient and I'm not trying to put responsibility onto the friends and carers and lovers. Mm. I'm just trying to say, can we all go easy on each other? Because just because, because it can get very lonely in a hospital on your own. And, and it's very easy to think that no one cares and no one's coming. And, and, and if we reach out to those people and and you hear the love in their voice, then you can mm-hmm. realise that not everyone's a visitor and not, not everyone mm-hmm. can do this. And, and then you get less battle axe about the whole thing. Less, yeah. less like, oh, well, fuck them. And I'm going through what I'm going through and they don't care. You know, like, it's like, I, I just want less extremes from my side too. Like, like I would like to visit hospital more. I mean, come on, get over it. You know, like it's it's both it's both sides that I'm saying, hey, pull your socks up. It's both sides. I'm not I'm trying to be harsh on people that are sick. Okay, let's pause for a moment to talk about today's sponsor, National Not for Profit Griefline, and their new Griefline Knowledge Service, which aims to provide grief literacy education and training for individuals, workplaces, schools, and community groups, so you can get to know grief to better support yourself and others. And whether you're supporting someone grieving or navigating loss yourself, I think we could all do with being a little bit more grief informed, couldn't we? 
absolutely. Guys, these new evidence-based courses and workshops draw on Griefline's decades of experience supporting Australians through all forms of grief and loss. Grief knowledge program themes include cultivating a grief-informed workplace, addressing loneliness and social isolation triggered by grief, which is a big one for a lot of us, how to support a grieving friend, advanced grief theories for professional therapists and workplace bereavement support groups. And as part of the Griefline Knowledge Program, we've actually partnered with Griefline to create a joint free ebook resource on how to support a grieving friend, where you can learn how to support and confidently interact with others experiencing grief, loss and loneliness. And you can find it on their website or via the link in the show notes. I feel like everyone needs one of these ebooks. Definitely. <laughs> Give them to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> we need to get more people knowing how to support people. And plus, if you're grieving yourself, Griefline Knowledge has coping strategies and self-care routines to promote physical, emotional, and mental well-being, which are all things that we need when we're feeling griefy. For more information on the new Griefline Knowledge Service, visit knowledge.griefline.org.au. Now back to the show. Um, Sam, I have been really wanting to talk to you. I know you've also been through a lot of suicide loss in your life as well. You've lost three really close people to you. And my mum died by suicide in 2020. Um, So I'm in the depth of (laughs) dealing with that at the moment. And you've been through it three times. How how do you cope? How do you get up each day and live this meaningful life that you do and just have this fucking big grin on your face and just tell help tell me? I'd love to know. So a loaded my, question. So <laughs> my professional life and my sister's life has been dotted by cancer, but my yeah. life personally has been dotted by drug abuse and suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for people who don't know, I lost my mum when I was three. She committed suicide. Um, I lost... Uh, I lost uh, Lainey, um, Lainey, who was my partner in 2006. Um, and uh, just before I lost my partner in 2006, I lost a dear friend called Heather. So my my girlfriend in 2006, I broke up with her that night um, um, because I wanted to move to Melbourne. The commute was killing me. I was on Nova Radio and, and I didn't want her to come with me because she was ready for kids and I wasn't ready and... You know, just, you know, like I still don't have kids. I'm 45. So like, like I was scared then and I'm scared now. And so I had, uh, I decided to leave her and I said, I'm moving to Melbourne. She said, I'm coming. And I just shook my head. And she knew that that shake of the head meant, no, she's not coming. She burst into tears. She went into the house. She sat down on a, in between a doorway and cried. It wasn't acrimonious or anything. And, and I didn't know what to do. So I just, I just went up to her, kissed her on the forehead and said, I love you. Um, and then went to Melbourne. Um, the next day I had some kind of celebrity soccer match with George Columbaris and my phone was out of battery and no one could find me. And, um, and everyone thought, well, if we go to Sam's drug dealer's house, we'll find him. Like he'll eventually turn up there. So I eventually turned up at my dealer's house uh, and uh, that's when I found out that that my girlfriend had killed herself in our bedroom using mm. our dog's choker chain um, with a stool that I still keep. Uh, and she died to a song that I introduced her to by Muse. The lyrics of that song were hopelessly 
I'll love you endlessly. Hopelessly, I'll give you everything, but I won't give you up. Um, so I was heavily implicated in that suicide. I was the last one to see her. Uh, I was the trigger boy. Um, that's the one that I'd like to focus on because when my mum committed suicide when I was three, I don't really remember that. And mm -hmm. when Heather died, that's great. And she was a close friend. But, uh, but, but uh, you know, it, it didn't hit me like this one hit me. Yeah. Um, so after she died, I... Um, I, I went. I thought the family would blame me, um, so I drove back to Dalesford, thinking that I was going to get a right bollocking. And um, and her little sister, her little sister's name was Erin, and she was about five or six years old. And I pulled up outside, and Erin saw me, and she came sprinting, literally sprinting towards me, with her arms open, and she mm -hmm. said, "Sam." Are you okay? No. Her first, her first thing she said was, am I okay? I hugged her. I started crying. I pulled her out and uh, I said, listen, I've got a very important job for you. And she said, yes, anything. And I said, look, I know you're the youngest, but in a way you've got the most important job. And she said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. I said, you need to look after your mum. She's going to be struggling right now. I'm not saying I don't care about you, but she's the one we need to focus on right now. We need to make sure that you've got everything together. I want you to get yourself ready for school. I want you to, I want you to clean up where possible. I want you to make sure that you attend to the needs of, of your whole family, but your mum especially. Can you look after your mum for me? That's a very important job. Can you do that? And she just looked at me and nodded and said, yeah, I'll do anything. I promise I'll look after her. I promise. Mm. I went inside to see the mum. I thought the mum would blame me. I opened up her bedroom. It was completely dark. The blinds were down. She was grieving. Uh, I didn't know what to say. And uh, she spoke first. She said, I just heard every word you told my girl outside. She had the window open. She heard the whole exchange that I'd had with her daughter. Mm. Uh, and she said, I heard, I heard every word from outside. And I just wanted you to know that I'll never blame you. The important thing with suicide is not to ask why. The answer is the same all the time. The pain was too much at that time. Mm. Done. Not, it, a, it, it's, the answer is always the same. At that point, life was too painful. Yeah. Right. I hate and, and I'm using the H word. I, I really don't like it when people think that people who have committed suicide have taken some kind of cheap way out or they should have thought of their yes. family. Or they I fucking hate this as well. Or, the selfish oh, or man, I yeah. just, cowardly. Oh, yeah. Get, gets I'm me with so cross because because it's got nothing to do with their loved ones. It's got nothing to do with their family. It's got everything to do with where they're at at that time. It, they, didn't, they didn't leave their families. They were trying to give their family an easier life, no doubt. I mean, mm. it, it, that really frustrates me. So, so we need to stop playing the blame game yeah. and, we need, and we need to stop asking why. We know why. It's the same every time. With everyone that we've lost to suicide, the answer is the same, the pain. That's the answer. Why did yeah. they the pain? 
I'm gonna have you yelling in my I can I'll just have you yeah. on replay next time can, I'm can I'm going me, into the Y game. You can, getting, you can hear me getting really like, because, yeah, people who people who are in a lot of pain and commit suicide, I really feel for. And people who care for them and love them, I really feel for. Um can can everyone calm down though? It's 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 not it's not illegal in my mind. No mm. one signed up for life. You didn't go, okay, I'm gonna try life. And, and then get born. Like if you had have signed a contract at the beginning and, and then you did that, it'd be some kind of breach, but there is no such contract. You found this world, you found this life. There was a moment where you couldn't cope with it and you opted out. You're allowed to do that. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to respect you less for doing that. You didn't leave your daughter behind. It's not, you, you know, like, oh God, I'm getting so passionate about this. Um, but if everyone could just stop, blaming people who do that because mm. they do that because they're in a lot of pain and mm. if and and if people can stop if they've if 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 they've been affected by it can they stop wondering why or if they could have done more no you couldn't have stop wondering why i think people say oh it's such a selfish act but it's it's not like the opposite oh. it's the fucking opposite right <laughs> like they don't want to die like, I don't yeah. think they do it because they want to die and they want to leave. Like, they just want that pain to stop and they don't see another way of that pain going away. Like, it's oh, hey, a really mate. fucked situation. If it was a selfish act, Jesus, geez, there'd be a lot of selfish people out there. Um, it's, <laughs> exactly. you know, like, I mean, personally, if you're that selfish, you wouldn't commit suicide because you've got life and you want to be selfish during it. Like, yes. you want to get as much stuff as you can. Like, you, you, you're not a selfish person for doing something like that. You're just trying to end the pain. And to be honest, it it takes a lot more strength and a lot more character to do something like that than, than being selfish. It's a mm -hmm. hard thing to do. People who try it once are nine times more likely to try it again. Um, if so, which is why we have to make sure that we get around people who have made that first attempt. And at the end of the day, they're not being selfish. They are in pain. Yeah. Preach, Sam. Preach. <laughs> Mic <Mike> drop. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam, I would love to know, like, how do you look after your mental health? What do you do to help you? So I was diagnosed with bipolar years ago. Because uh, my mum was in and out of mental institutions and, um, you know, runs in the family and all that. Uh, so I was on strong medication for six years. I got off that medication while I was on the unicycle ride. I'd gotten off it a couple of times beforehand, but I ended up in jail both times. So so I thought, well, I'll get off it in the middle of nowhere and I'll stagger <laughs> off it and I'll do it safely, but no one's going to know. So I didn't tell anyone. And I got off my medication during that first unicycle, the, the unicycle ride around Australia. Um, since then, um, I just don't get, I don't have mental health problems. I don't get depressed. I don't get anxious. I don't get worried. I don't, I can't see any bipolar. Like, mm. it's just like, was it just a lifestyle thing? Was I just mental because it was lifestyle? Um, I, 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 I like, I have no idea what actually happened. Like, like I, I'm literally like quite an optimistic and cheerful person where I, whereas I was very depressed and very cynical. What do I do now to maintain that? I do nothing to jeopardize it. <laughs> so, um, so, um, I know that if I don't exercise regularly, I'm just not going to be as well up here. Um, I know that if I don't keep good hours and get enough sleep, I'm just not going to be as well up here. I know that if I don't eat well, 
I'm gonna I'm not gonna be as good up here. So every morning I have two breakfasts. My first uh, my first breakfast is a combination of the yummy with jelly, um, but I have heaps and heaps of melons every morning. So oh, um, okay. I keep melons in a big thing cut up every morning. So I eat really healthy. I make sure I have enough water all the time. Um, so basically, my self care um, is now like there's uh, it's it's way higher than me or my family ever thought I'd achieve um, because my life was so dysfunctional and so messy. But basically to maintain my mental health now, uh, I make sure that I don't do anything, and I mean anything, that I used to do. So I, I, don't, I, I don't particularly go out, don't really have friends. I don't really have a social life per se. Um, so there's stuff that I should do that, that will apparently make me happier um but yeah i live a very happy life so i commonly ride my bike i commonly uh swim laps i commonly go for a walk um i try to i try to do something every day and and that's why you 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 you're not just 500 percent more likely to speak to a stranger if you've got a dog but you're actually likely to have better mental health if you've got a dog so if anybody listening is struggling with their mental health um i i'd recommend what any doctor would recommend um and that's the if you don't already that you think about getting a puppy a puppy will get you outside when you don't feel like it um so a puppy needs walking every day if you're struggling to exercise that is affecting your mental health if you're not as optimal as you feel like you are being and you feel like you could get better and that you're dragging a bit um go get a dog i either walk every day or like and realize and realize that that you're not disciplined enough to do that yet or get a dog like either way, no one's going to hand you better mental health, but yourself, you have to take responsibility for it. Um, I know what it's like to not want to leave the house. I, I know what it's like to be mentally unsure. Um, at the end of the day, the recipe is really simple. It's just not complicated. It's really not eat well, sleep well, exercise well. If you do those things, as annoying as it is, like it's cold today, uh, like why would I go for a swim? It'll be cold. I'd get Go for a swim. <laughs> go for a swim. Do some laps. You'll see heaps of other people doing the same thing. And um, and I really think if you've got a dog and you exercise regularly, um, you could end up like me, off your medication entirely and wondering whether you were unwell in the first place. I love this, Sam. Self-care toolkit, everyone. <laughs> get a dog. Yeah, Sal's got to. You can you can attest to that, can't you, Sal? Oh yeah, saving graces, honestly. And yeah. Sam, so love your sister. It brings together an incredible community, which we bloody love, and we love what you're doing. So, for anyone listening who wants to get involved and help raise funds, what can they do, and where can they connect with you? Go to Love Your Sister on social, or go to loveyoursister.org. Um, come and reach out to us. We're very, our systems are really good now. So if you want to help us, we'll um, find us and we'll help you. Um, so, but I suppose if there's anyone, um, I suppose Insty is more important than Facey um, right now. So if you're on Insty, maybe check us out rather than saying social media, it'd be great to get a like on Insty. Um, okay. and we will link your insta in the show notes <laughs> too. But it has been such a pleasure 
getting to know you more and chatting to you and hearing about Connie and love your sister and all the other fun stories you shared with us today. But it's just been so lovely. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Sam. I, I, I really appreciate you having me. Um, thank you very much. Um, uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Um, don't, 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 don't give up at all. You'd be surprised how much, like you need time to build things. Yeah. Um, like, and you're really good at what you do. Um, I've been tracking the audience. It's going the right way. Um, <laughs> um, I hope to be on it sometime in the future. Um, and I wanted to say, um, thank you because very little of what I do, like, it's quite common for me to go and do a voiceover and I have to sound, sound very enthusiastic about Rob DeCostella's marathon triumph. And, and then I, then I have to go, I have to go and do a bunch of stuff that doesn't really mean much. Yeah. And, uh, it's been, been good to share this time with you because I thought we've gotten somewhere. What a fascinating guy. This I think has to be up there with one of my favorite conversations to date. For I sure. know. That's crazy how we, we say that all the time though, but it really is like, he's incredible. Before we go, guys, just want to say a big thank you to today's sponsor, Griefline. If you are struggling and need some extra grief support, you can call Griefline's National Toll-Free Helpline on 1300 845 745 or visit griefline.org.au to access their knowledge program and support services, which are detailed in the show notes. Until next time, guys. Bye for now. Bye.